0: You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Welcome back to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is Garrett Ashley Mullet on the podcast where we talk about everything. Today's September 29th, 2021, a Wednesday This is episode 154 of season 3, 219 of the podcast, and here lately I recognize that I'm talking a lot about things related to conflict, things related, concepts related to disagreements between people and how to navigate those and how to understand and unpack the way that we are relating to conflict, the way that other people are relating to conflict, and I'm really wanting to dig deep. I did an episode here a couple of weeks ago, How to, de- how to Disagree Agreeably. That was September 12th, How to Disagree Agreeably, wanting to talk more about why it is that we don't disagree agreeably. Why is it that we don't seem to have the capacity to make sound arguments, good arguments, and to do that with cool judgment instead of getting all worked up, getting upset, having a fight? Why do we associate the word argument with fighting, with bickering, with being quarrelsome, with contention? We shouldn't. We should think of arguments rightly in the classical sense as making a claim and then supporting that claim with evidence and reasons trying to persuade one another. I talked about doing nothing from selfish ambition or conceit here on the 25th. And in that episode, I wanted to really dive deep into why is it that we struggle with that concept in situations where there's going to be maybe perhaps someone who seems to be upset with us or they are getting out of whack and out of sorts and should you confront somebody who's being a bully or should you confront somebody who is saying things that are not true or that's behaving badly? But if you do, are you doing that out of selfish ambition or conceit? Even though we're told as Christians, we are to do nothing, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit Why are we doing these things? That's critically important. Are we doing it because we're seeking the welfare of those around us? That makes a big, big difference. And how do we do these things while also being wise as serpents and harmless as doves? Is it okay once you realize you're as wise as serpents to act on that? Or is the wisdom, is being wise as serpents, is being aware of the schemes of other people? Is that a disqualifier, once you do realize that the jig is up and -and so-and-so is doing such-and-such and and this is so-and-so over there's angle and this person has their own agenda, et cetera, et cetera, and they're maybe not behaving themselves in an appropriate way or conducting themselves with integrity. Once you realize that, does that disqualify you from reacting, responding in a way that you might be proud of? Well, it might if your first and foremost reason is selfish ambition. I'm going to do X, Y, and Z just to show off because I want it to be known that I'm as wise as serpents. Well, that that might not be harmless as doves if that's your reason because acting on selfish ambition and conceit actually will cause that whole thing to blow up even worse. And you're not going to see reconciliation, which I talked about here two episodes ago. Uh, Two episodes ago, we talked about the ministry of reconciliation and how in 2 Corinthians, Paul writes that we have been brought into this ministry of reconciliation. God started things off. He initiated by reconciling us to himself in Christ. And we, in turn, are supposed to be about trying to reconcile people to God, sharing the gospel, making disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all that Christ has commanded. But Then we get to yesterday, and I talk about why we beat around the bush. Why are we indirect in our communication? Well, a lot of times we're indirect in our communication because we anticipate that somebody's going to have their defenses up. If we start talking about this thing in very clear terms, it's not going to be what they want to hear. They're going to get upset. They're going to shut us down. They're going to work to counteract our purposes here. So we're going to take the indirect approach, as B.H. Liddell Hart would say. But in this episode, I wanna talk more specifically about perception. And more to the point to focus our efforts, I wanna talk about this phrase, perception is reality. Perception is reality. Now, in marketing and sales, that phrase is used, at least in my experience, more often than in any other condition, in any other circumstance. When someone is trying to sell, they're trying to market. In our day and age, perception is reality. If you can't create a certain perception about a product or a service or a personality or what have you, then you're not gonna be able to sell that product, person, service, what have you. We're We're not going to attract buyers, subscribers, listeners, readers to a thing. If they have a sloppy perception, if they perceive that this thing is not worth their time, then they're going to move along because there's a lot of other venues. There's a lot of other products. There's a lot of other... Everything, right? Everything. Everything that you might possibly try to market, sell, pitch. There's a lot out there, particularly when we have access to the internet, when we have the ability to transport ourselves, we can go somewhere else. We can shop around. If the perception is not something that we can form and fashion in a positive way to make what it is that we're trying to sell attractive, then the reality is you're just not going to sell that thing. Plain and simple. It's not going to sell itself. You're going to have to communicate. You're going to have to be careful in your communication. And being careful in your communication and focusing too much on the perception that people have can run the risk of making you a manipulative person or a dishonest person. And that's always what's been my tripping point when it comes to marketing. That That's always been my hang up when it comes to sales is I am too honest when it comes to sales. I don't like the idea of flipping somebody's switches and turning their knobs and pushing their buttons to try and get them to buy something that might not be in their interest. So I want to tell them, hey, here's all the reasons why this might be a good fit for you. And also here are some disclaimers and upfront, like, is this a good fit for you? Or maybe you don't want it, you know, almost trying to think through this thing for them. Because at the end of the day, I don't want to sell them something that isn't a value. I don't want to be another one of those people who make their living off of manipulating the public, manipulating everybody around them, being a user. Yes, you might be enriching yourself, but at what cost? What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? So even with my own book, we'll take that for instance. I write this book, and this is why we homeschool. I firmly believe that this is a book that can help a lot of people, that can encourage a lot of people. But when it comes to marketing it, I am lost. Because I'm just going to say, hey, here's why I think you should buy my book, and maybe it's not the best fit for you, and I'm going to explain it. I'm going to go on and on and on about it in long form. And for a lot of people who are used to being manipulated and maybe are even content to be manipulated in most cases because the products are better and better there is a lot of competition the options they have for where they invest their attention their money their energy their time they are diverse most people are content to have the quick 30 second soundbite sales pitch that is indirect that appeals to their feelings their aspirations their desire for self actualization Buy this Jeep, buy this latest uh edition of the Ford Bronco, which looks awesome by the way, speaking of marketing, those guys from a design standpoint and from a marketing standpoint, like there is master level marketing, if you ask me, because let's create a, a funny commercial about this thing and we're we're gonna show it as all good off road. Wilderness vehicle, tough truck, SUV commercials will do. We're going to show this vehicle in its natural habitat, which is the mountains, of course, which is crossing streams and driving through the mud and driving through the dust and driving over rocks. And we're going to show all that because maybe that's what you really, really want. You really want to get out, out of the city, you want to really get out into the country. And take this thing for a spin and get out into nature, particularly now more than ever with COVID, lockdowns and cities being crazy, trying to avoid large crowds or whatever. But that product can be sold in a 30-second commercial by people who, at the end of the day, they're in the business to sell the Ford Bronco. Period. That's how they make their living. And they make a lot of living If they sell a lot of Ford Bronco and me, meanwhile, I'm looking at it like, well, okay, I've got this book. I think my book is arguably more valuable to you than a Ford Bronco because of the long term ramifications, but I'm going to have to unpack and explain a lot in order to make this clear. And in the process of doing that, I'm going to be touching on a lot of nerves that people don't necessarily want to have touched and they don't necessarily have the attention span anymore to accept um, the long form argument, right? They they want to be entertained. They're so used to being entertained, they come to expect it. And if you're not entertaining them, and they don't perceive an existential threat, or even if they do perceive an existential threat, they're so used to being entertained, they they have to be told how to get out of this trap in an entertaining way. And so if I'm not being entertaining, well then perception is reality. This is boring. This is not for me. I, I just, I'm going to look for someone else who is more entertaining or I'm going to look for someone else who is what have you, right? So what do I do? What do you do as far as perception is reality? Well, first off, I think for our own purposes whether it sells or it doesn't sell, whatever it is that we're trying to promote, in the long-term, thinking long-term, thinking longer than the 30-second soundbite, our brand needs to be honesty. Our brand needs to be integrity. And that's a difficult sell in a culture that is post-truth on the macro. In a culture that does not highly value objective truth, saying my brand is honesty is met with cynicism, skepticism, dismissal. Yeah, okay, sure, right? Sure, your brand is honesty and integrity, but what does that mean, right? And so I, I've run into this, yeah, honestly, more so in my working life, this phrase, perception is reality. When I was third-party uh, automation services with ZI up in Montana, Worked for a lot of different producers. And I would interface with business development managers, a.k.a. salesmen, who that's what their shtick is. That's their part to play is to go and shake hands and kiss babies and buy tickets to sporting events and take people out for lunch and remember that their wife's birthday, their kid's christening is coming up and ask about that and and all of that to create this perception of hey i'm your friend and i really 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 care about you as a person and what can i do for the business side of your needs now that you trust that i really care about you as a person wholly like in totality w-h-o-l-l-y what can i do for you because that's why I'm here really but I'm selling myself I'm selling you know the business development manager I'm selling myself and if you perceive that I'm selling myself then the jig is up but if you perceive that I'm interested in you as a person I really want to see what I can do to help you and I care about what happens to you and that includes at work and I realize that work impacts your family, and so I'm going to take an interest in your family and asking you about how they're doing and talking with you about my family and that engenders trust, the perception will be a positive one where potential sales service agreements are concerned. And so for my part, not being particularly um, inclined in that direction in a put-on sort of a way, but wanting to be that way in a genuine sort of a way, you send me out there to do a job as far as the instrumentation goes, as far as the electrical and controls system goes. And the way I'm going to try and demonstrate to you that I care about you is by paying really close attention to the quality of my work. I'm going to be really thorough in troubleshooting this. And if I can repair it, if I can make it work without us swapping this out, then I want to be really meticulous and make it clear to you by me explaining here's, Here are the steps that I followed. Here's what I found. Here's how I found it. Here's what I tried. Well, that didn't work. Process of elimination. Think through this with you. Now I'm not only demonstrating that I've done my due diligence, I'm also providing an education piece if you would like to understand better how this thing works. That, in my mind, engenders trust. In my mind, that's the way that you build credibility is by working hard, paying attention to details, being trustworthy, doing good quality work, being consistent, et cetera, et cetera. Being honest. Well, that gets dicey when sometimes people who are stressed out, that's why you're here is this thing is not working and it needs to work. When people are stressed out, they sometimes don't perceive things correctly. Sometimes other elements of human psychology come into play like for instance, confirmation bias, like bad experiences having tainted their expectation of what you're going to try and do. Well, these technicians, they're always stupid and they don't know what they're doing and they're trying to milk us for all this is worth. And if they say that something is not working, well, they probably just didn't even try and they don't know how to do their job. And they do not you know, all this stuff, right? Hey, it's not working hey, the site's still down, hey, we need to get this back online faster, pick up the pace, are you done yet? You know, those kinds of things. And to be honest, when you're trying to do a thorough job of fixing something that's technical, that the whole reason you're there is because not everybody understands how to work with these technical things. That's not their forte. Any more than my forte is marketing, it's not their forte to figure out their instrumentation problems. That's why they brought you in. Sometimes, at least in at least this has been my conviction, sometimes you have to just say, hey, here are the facts, right? This is what I found. This is what it is. Here's what I'm doing. And, and then at the end, hey, here's what I did to fix it. It's working now. And the odd thing for me is very often when you say, hey, it's working now. I got it. Here's what it was. Okay, thanks. And they're off. Right? And they're off. They don't want to hear all about how you fixed it. They don't want to get into all the details. And if you bore them with a lot of those details, they see that as being a waste of their time. And if you if you take too long in explaining it, they get to thinking, Ah, okay, you're just wasting time. You're you're dragging things out on the troubleshooting side too, right? So then some of the conversations I would have with business development managers, a lot of the conversations I had centered on this question of trust. Are you doing a good quality job? Are you doing your due diligence? Are you milking this? Are you trying to take us for a ride? Are you trying to, you know, get as much money out of us as possible? Are we getting cheated? Right. And to be fair, other companies had cheated a lot of these customers in the past. And to some extent too. The the question goes both ways where it's like, okay, why buy the cow when you can get the milk for free? And so you get some customers that They want everything for pennies on the dollar and that's just not the cost, right? That's just, that's not what that costs to deliver and we can't make money. We can't do business if you're not paying for the service, for us procuring parts, putting together a bill of materials for an automation build. It has a cost. This is what the cost is. If you won't pay that, we either need to go find a different customer or we need to find a different line of work because that's what it, that's the cost, right? So then the, the conversations I would have with business development managers off to the side sometimes were, well, the perception is this and perception is reality. And I would always get really frustrated with that and I'd say, well, wait a second, that, that perception is not reality, actually. Like the reality is this. And this is part of why I take such careful notes. But this is also where, you know, when, when everybody's inherently good, when everybody's a, a good faith actor, a participant in the process, that's one thing, right? And so people with integrity, they will see hey you take really good notes and you've got reasons and you've got explanations and you've organized this out and you are presenting that information in an orderly way and you have done your homework and you have paid attention and actually this does save us money in the long run they will see and hear all that and they will thank you for it and they'll say hey that's really great right and you will build trust with them but going back to something i just mentioned a minute ago if your customer actually isn't critiquing and nitpicking and questioning everything that you're doing in good faith, you might actually upset them by challenging what they're saying their perception is with facts. You might actually really upset them because, aha, wait a second, it wasn't about that. It was really about who wears the pants. It was really about asserting dominance. It was really about them trying to negotiate you down from what the actual cost is. It was really about them trying to motivate with fear and anxiety when you work best, staying calm and keeping a clear head. And so I I really am, am frustrated by this phrase and what it represents that perception is reality. It reminds me too much of Edward Bernays and propaganda, which I did a episode on several months ago. Go back and check it out. But it, it reminds me too much of Edward Bernays and public relations and manipulative, deceptive marketing tactics. It reminds me too much of people being dishonest to say that Perception is reality. Because in my mind, it's like, well, wait a second. Let's change the perception by presenting facts, by making a reasoned, respectful case for why this is actually what's going on here. And here's what happened. And let me explain. And here I've got my notes. And sometimes what I found in those situations where you attempt to do that, was that the person was very appreciative. Hey, thank you, right? We want you to work on this stuff for us. Other times what I found was that made the situation worse because now it's personal. Now you've just contradicted them and don't you know the the customer's always right? Well, no, actually, If the customer were always right, I wouldn't be here. (laughs) If the customer was always right, you wouldn't need me bringing in my expertise to inform some of the decisions you're trying to make here. Like for instance, what instrumentation do you need? How does it need to be installed? What's going to go together? What's going to work? What isn't going to work? How do we execute on this? If the customer was always right, well then you wouldn't need me here. But the fact of the matter is that sometimes the customer needs to be corrected in their understanding because they don't fully understand this. Now, I've just recently, going back to the book thing, I recently sent off my book to several literary agents to see if they would be interested in helping me market this to a traditional publisher. Because nine months in, I've sold, according to direct sales on Amazon about sorry about $55 worth in in royalties $55 worth of royalties in 9 months and that's embarrassing to admit but that is just how bad I am at marketing my own work i think the book is much better than that sales number gives it credit for but if i have one of these literary agents come back to me and they say hey Listen, I looked at this, I looked at that. I looked at this. This is why your book's not selling because you haven't done x, y and Z, or because this here this is not really this isn't the best foot forward in terms of helping people to see what it is that your your book is right, why they should buy it let's do this. let's do that. let's approach this person. These people are good at it in that scenario, the customer's not right except insofar as if I come at it with a, just a blank slate approach, which I won't, which I, I can't, and I just say, hey, you know, you tell me how this works. All right? that might be right, but by virtue of having tried it on my own and that not working so well, obviously some of the things that I assume, that I suppose, that I think are not correct. And so a literary agent is probably going to key in on that and they're going to say, okay, here's your problem and here and here and here and you're assuming this but that's not quite how that works in practice actually because this is what we do for a living. Perception is reality is, that's not true. That's not true. Sometimes when we're stressed, when we're in a fight or flight sort of a mindset Our brains just do not interpret correctly the sensory inputs. What we see, what we hear, what we perceive is not reality. It's a jumbled collection of some facts and also our freaking out, our looking for, okay, where is this going? Okay, where it might go, only God knows for sure, for sure, And yes, we should be able to anticipate and think ahead and have good judgment, but when we're freaking out or if we have an agenda and that's what we've got tunnel vision on, I want this thing. I want something. And that's all I can think about. We might exclude all facts, all arguments, which are inconvenient to what it is that we want. And if we're not clear, if if we are beating around the bush, like I talked about in the previous episode, if we're beating around the bush instead of getting right to the point and being honest and upfront, then our perception is going to be tainted. If we're saying one thing to the people we're meeting to work with and they're delivering on that, but then the goalpost moves, well, okay, clearly then what you told me before wasn't really what you were after. What you were really after is this other thing and me even explaining all this, right? This is is, uh, a case in point. I'm now nearly 30 minutes in on trying to unpack this concept after several episodes of trying to work through this. And 30 minutes conversation with somebody who believes that their perception is reality and they don't want to hear anything to the contrary, 30 minutes of you trying to unpack it like this is not sexy. That is... (laughs) I mean, at least in my experience, most people, and that's honestly, that's part of why I podcast. Truth be told, that's part of why I podcast is, hey, here's a venue for me to almost like a, a blackboard and some chalk. I'm going to do the math here, long form. And all you might see outside of the podcast is going to be the end product, the end result. You might not get all of this inside baseball unless you listen to the podcast but but, I need to process i'm I'm very much somebody who processes things verbally when i when I talk about something, I think about that thing in a deeper way. It helps me to understand it better to talk through it and a lot of people are like this but but I know that I am so perception is reality. How do you without being manipulative, without being dishonest, without being deceptive without being Somebody who's unscrupulous and, and deceptive and, and all that, how, without doing anything from selfish ambition or vanity, how do you work to how, how, do, you, how do you help people's perceptions? And, and obviously, you know even as I ask the question, as I pose the question, it occurs to me, there is a limit to how much responsibility we should take for the way that people perceive us. There's a limit you know you, you, you can't please all the people all the time. you can please some of the people some of the time but even there should your goal be to people please or should it be to please God? and when you're pleasing God, you might find as we read all through the scriptures, Old Testament, New Testament, you might find that some people are pleased with you because that's what they want to they want to please God. And they realize, hey, there's blessing there. There's fruit there. When we please God, when we work to honor Him in all our ways, acknowledge Him in all our ways, there's fruit, good fruit, that comes from that. And you will have some people perceive that rightly because they have ears that hear. They have eyes that see. But also, you're going to have just the opposite. Jesus rebukes the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees in the gospel accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. One of the things he says is that they're blind guides. They're the blind leading the blind. He also says they have eyes, but they don't see. They have ears, but they don't hear. They think they see, but they don't see. They see what they want to see. They're deceived. They're self-deceived, even. They think they hear, and they think they understand, but that's all the worse for them actually understanding. If they would admit, if they would just admit that they don't understand, that would go a long, long ways. But this causes so many problems when you have people who want to insist, well, this is the way it is. Well, actually, that's not the way it is. Objectively, X, Y, Z, A, B, and Z. Well, no, yeah, yeah. You know, you, you can't control that. Or at least, I presume there's a hard limit to how much responsibility you should take for that. If Christ, as our example, didn't move heaven and earth to try and win friends and influence people among every sector, including those who hated him. He raises a man from the dead for crying out loud. And the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teachers of the law who saw him as a threat, they wanted all the more. That's when they decided they wanted to kill him and Lazarus. So how did Jesus handle that? Well, for one, he didn't flatter them. He didn't ask them about their wife's birthday coming up. He didn't buy tickets to a baseball game and take them out to a baseball game. He didn't kiss babies and shake hands and act like a politician. At least not in a way that was disingenuous and unscrupulous. So then, if he didn't, maybe we should question whether it's so good for us to do that. What if, sometimes the two options are mutually exclusive. Operating with integrity, speaking the truth, doing the right thing, pleasing God on the one hand, and on the other hand, having everyone perceive you in a positive, favorable light. If, if the gospel, if the Christian faith were going to be compatible with everybody liking you all the time, then Jesus would not have promised persecution. Jesus would not have said to be joyful when men say all manner of evil against you for his namesake. And yet he did. Jesus did say rejoice when man says all manner of evil against you for my namesake. Jesus did say that. And he set an example. And I think perception is reality. It needs to die. That phrase, that idea, that slogan, just like the customer's always right, it needs to die. Because if we really, really, really truly love people, then we're not flattering them. We're not telling them that everything they think and feel is always correct all the time because they're an inherently good person. And we don't have to lay it on thick and say, "Wow, oh, yeah, yeah. you do realize you're a vile, no good, awful sinner, right? Right? Somebody asks me a question about my work. A customer asks me a question about my work. You do realize that you're a, a depraved sinner who needs Jesus, right? Like, Don't start off the conversation that way is what I'm saying. It can be true and you should keep it in your mind though. And you should operate accordingly. Have no fear of man who can only kill the body that has nothing more they can do to you. Fear God. But I got to leave it there. Speaking of fearing God, fearing people... I'm going to take off and go to work. As always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless.